0: And so father, it behooves us as we are like uh, children in grade school, it behooves us to learn, not not just to graduate, but that we learn that we might apply for without the application of the truth, we will be but a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Bless this word to us now. I pray for these who hear, Lord God, that wherever they are in their lives tonight, what anxieties and those things that uh, trouble them. Uh, And those who are particularly aware that um, as we finish up our time in this earth, that it is likely to be so much different than what we have experienced so far. Mm -hmm. But you, Lord God, um, have decreed all things, and your wisdom is past finding out. here we are lord help this preacher with this word tonight i pray in christ's name amen okay chapter seven of matthew starting with verse seven You know, as we look back, if we look back over the entire Sermon on the Mount, that'd be chapters 5, 6, and 7, uh, we notice that the first portion of it had to do with Christ uh, educating, uh, for those who could understand, educating his hearers that everything they had understand, had understood about what they perceived as the means to glorify your name and to be uh, righteous that it was all wrong. Lord, it You know, we look at this in a matter of a few pages, but we understand that most of those who were your chosen people, more or less, never truly understood or perceived your ways. And, of course, there are exceptions to that. And you know who are yours. But, Father, men men have not changed. And we continue to make mistakes as historically our ancestors did and there must be an intervention as Christ was intervening into the Jewish mind to bring them out of their uh, out of their foolish thinking so dear Lord lest each one of us not think uh, more highly of ourselves than we ought and might we also understand that we are but flesh uh, and except the spirit be in charge of the soul that we also might fall into the uh, into a way of thinking that is contrary to your mind. Mm. And so each of us humble ourselves before you. As we get to Matthew chapter six, uh, we find Christ speaking to uh, his audience regarding how to pray uh, regarding the fact that they must separate themselves even unto the Lord and not try to serve two masters. Finally, in 6, he tells them to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then other things God would take care of. And now in chapter seven, we will be dealing with how those who are God's people ought to deal one with the other and how we ought to understand the unity of the body in uh, all that God has taught us that bring us into a oneness. We see those seven unities in the book of Ephesians uh, early on in chapter 4. And there is uh, admonition in chapter 7 to encourage us to understand how to interact and be of the same mind Or have the mind of Christ one towards the other. And so I'll start with verse 7 of chapter 7 and say, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth and to him that knocketh it shall be open. Or what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish will he give him a serpent? If then, being evil, you know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Well, that's encouraging. In my opinion what is being said to these Jews is that it is the pleasure of God to give us those things we ask for that are good. And of course, uh, God knows our need to have food. He understands we need shelter and those things that are required that we be able to maintain this physical life. And that God will give us those simple things. And he teaches here that those who belong to him must be dependent. However, I do not think that verses seven through 11 actually approach the heights of that which God really wants to give us. He is Christ is speaking here to if you would to people with that are have the spiritual mind of, well, actually, their 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 mind of the spirit was almost non-existent, uh, and they understood these things, and they could see that God was good, um, and that therefore we ought to ask Him for good things. But I find in the rest of Scripture that. We just don't decide in ourselves what is good for us. In other words, for example, if I need to mature in Christ uh, in, and uh, need to be brought into circumstances, that will bring that to pass, even though they may be unpleasant, then I might not think that that is good. And the key for us is that we're given the capacity to think God's thoughts after him. And the Lord says, whatsoever you ask, in my will, it shall be given. And in another place, he says, if you abide in me, you can ask what you will, and it shall be given. But there are provisos in that. In that... uh, well, there is in Christendom a, a very large segment of believers that think you can just uh, name it and claim it, and that there isn't anything that you can imagine like a, a new car or like, a, you know, a more income or a bigger house. And all we need to do is ask God, for it says here that um, he will give us those things we ask of him. But those believers who at some point begin to grow up in Christ, come to know that before we can ask rightly, Now, you'll remember it was James who said, you you have not because you don't ask or you don't receive because you have asked amiss that you might waste that on your lust. And so God is not Santa Claus uh, who is bringing us uh, gifts just to suit our own desires, and so what must be, therefore, in the heart of believers who will, who are growing into the image of Christ, so that they will have the mind of Christ, which, by the way, might be a good thing to ask for. The renewing of our mind. (laughs) Yeah. The Lord goes on in verse 12 as follows. Therefore all things whatsoever you would do, or pardon me, whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even to them for this is the law and the prophets. Now, if there was ever a scripture that might give away the fact that Christ was speaking to people who were yet uh, under law, uh, this certainly uh, seems to bring that out. This is what we call the golden rule, isn't it? And it's a good rule, I suppose, for those who are yet childlike in their understanding. But just looking as to how you want men to do unto you and then do that to them, to me, certainly doesn't emphasize the fact that we... Uh, do not have to consider that which we would enjoy other people's to do for us or to us, but we have the righteousness of God. As we all know, if we went to Second Peter chapter 1, we would find that God has... Given us all things. Now, I want you to consider how great a statement Peter had made that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Then he goes on, even that you may be partakers of the divine nature. Now, if God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, we will approach others not based upon how we would like to be treated. We will approach others with the absolute understanding and righteousness which comes with the goodness of God so it is not a matter of thinking of ourselves first and then just mimicking what we think we ought to do, but what we do is simply an expression of that which God has already given us. This is part and parcel of the difference between those who are still babes in Christ, and those who have grown to some level into the fullness of the stature of the person of Jesus Christ. We we walk in righteousness, not because we look at that and say, this is the way we should walk, We walk in righteousness because we have been given the power of an endless life. And that life is the life of Christ. And that life, if we abide, demonstrates the mind of Christ in all that we do. So we could say, Christianity is not uh, a matter of doing, but it is a matter of being. And we need to, in faith, focus on the truth that is so evident in Scripture of what becomes uh, and what is uh consistent with our being a new creation. For those who, uh, you know, it's it's no different than the book that was written a number of years ago that I never liked. And it was uh, called, entitled, What Would Christ Do? And it, yes, is Christ our example? he is not my example in regard to what I must do. Mm-hmm. He is my example as to the one who looked to almighty God for that, which he would do mm-hmm. and that it would simply flow from that relationship that he had with the father. Mm-hmm. So it is our being, and if we are born again, we have that being. And that being asserts itself if we walk in the faith that God will make himself known by that power of an endless life that is in us. And so, as much of the Sermon on the Mount falls short of what God will soon, speaking of this time when Christ was walking in the earth, Christ knew that soon God would bring to the disciples something far beyond what they understood he had tried to teach them. Remember what Christ said to his disciples. He said, there are many things that I have to say to you, but you are not ready to hear them now. And so, for us, God has every one of those things that Christ would have said to his disciples. And he did say to them through the Holy Ghost and by the writings of of, uh, his called men in the epistles that men would come to know that life is not mimicking the good, but is simply the power of the good that has been a gift to us. Christ goes on, verse 13. Enter you in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way, that leadeth to destruction, and there be which go thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, that leadeth unto life, and few there shall be that find it. I want to tell you something that Vernon McGee said about this little piece of scripture, for I never thought of it in this way. We might consider that after we have become believers, born again, filled with the spirit of God, that our horizons might be very narrow. In fact, I think there are some people that think that living the Christian life is a life that is absolutely filled with restrictions. But Verna McGee compared this passage as to entering at the straight gate, the narrow gate, as a funnel. And here's what he said. The broad path is like entering the large end of the funnel. And those who go in by that way find that they are for continually progressively constrained by the power of sin whereby their horizons will become more narrow, more confining, more of a bondage than they could have ever imagined. Is it not true that those who follow after the imaginations of their own hearts wind up in a straight jacket of sin Mm -hmm. and they do not have liberty to experience anything other than that which is narrow and evil and they They continue to follow after it, and the the tighter they are wrapped with the bonds of unrighteousness. However, the Christian walk enters the other end of the funnel, and it seems constraining at first. It looks like, as some people are saying, well, now I'm gonna have to change. Now I'm gonna have to give up this and I'm gonna have to give up that. But they do not know that as that funnel broadens out as they enter into the narrow end, that the possibilities and the, the open fields, of the the joy of the Lord has been opened to us, whereby we are not constrained to, to do, but we are simply to walk as we have been made in Christ. And speaking of that, Paul made a statement that I had to, when I first read it, I had to think about it uh, as to his, how he viewed the law. And here's what he said. He said, all things are lawful for me. What did he mean? Well, for sure, he meant that he is not constrained by any rule, nor by any um, any constraint, there is no bondage, for the law brings bondage, but the spirit of God brings liberty. The man who is, a, who is sinful and without salvation is pressed into the narrow confines of bondage. But the man who receives Christ, the whole of eternity is open to him to simply do that which God made him to be. And that opens up for us. Let me ask you how big is God's world? How great is God's understanding in eternity? How How varied and and marvelous is God's understanding of things that we have no idea about in the universe. God wants to open up all that for us. I find being constrained, or at least uh, many would, being constrained in the lockdown of uh, COVID-19, uh, makes my world a little bit narrow. But that which is granted and made real for my life in Christ has no restraint whatsoever. Well, you say, well, what about the commands of Christ? And I say... Yes, there are commands of Christ, but do I do them because I should? Or do I do them because that's what I freely want to do? And if I do the commandments of Christ because I ought, have I glorified God? the answer is no. I have simply done a work of the flesh. But when my heart soars to walk in obedience to his life that is mine, I can't differentiate between what I want and what God wants. For if I abide in him, I already know his will, and I agree with it fully, and it is my pleasure to walk in his will and do those things that brings glory to him. And that brings glory to God, because that is salvation. And so there are no oughts, and there are no shoulds, and we enter into what men would think is a narrow way, but it opens to us an eternity of marvels, an eternity of blessedness, an eternity of knowledge, and nothing will be denied us. Which path is that which we will enjoy? And which one will bring us into outer darkness? Verse 15, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits, the Lord says. That is, now, who's he talking about here? He is talking about false prophets. We will know false prophets by that fruit which naturally comes from a selfish heart and a life that is divorced from that power of an endless life. These people, and they're everywhere, I remember back in the book of Acts when Paul was leaving the church at Ephesus and he said that, my friends, from this day you will see my face no more. And then he said, and I know That after I have left here, that there will, and he did not say come in from the outside. He said there will come up out of you false teachers, ravenous wolves, who will not spare the flock. Paul knew that. And so, as as there is ever a working of the Holy Spirit to bring a flock together, a flock of God's sheep, then as Paul said to the Ephesians, he said, I have not ceased night or day to continue to warn you about this. Now, what is the answer to that? The first answer is to grow up in Christ, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that goes hand in hand with our having a deep and lasting understanding of the word of God. And you know how I've often spoken that we have it here and it's available to each one of us. And we do not avail ourselves to it often. He said, you shall know these false prophets by their fruits. And then he, uh, he spoke to what the genesis of that which is produced according uh, for each, uh, each tree, for example, as its kind. For he says, a good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Do men gather grapes of thorns are figs of thistles. I did not realize until I watched a program the other day of how many poisonous fruits there are around the world. But each one of them that I saw had a beauty of its own and looked enticing. And so was the fruit that the serpent offered Eve. It, it looked good, but it very well, it, it in that case was absolutely corrupt. This cannot come from a good tree. False doctrine by false teachers who normally are involved in their vocation because that is a way to make money, and they become very powerful because there are many foolish professors of faith in the world who will follow, as it were, that pied piper. Every tree that bringeth not forth Good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits, you shall know them. Do you kind of get the idea here that those who are not false prophets will bring to their flocks that which is the truth. And those who are false prophets will exploit the people. Last time we studied in chapter six, about, um, Oh, about not casting our pearls before swine. We talked about, the fact that when we bring a doctrine that is beyond the salvation message, and as I think all of you know well, when I teach, it's not going to be every message that is about the blood of Christ cleansing us from all sin all which is true, but I bring forth all that I can find in the scripture that is God's promises whereby our identity and our being might, through faith, conform to the being of God himself. And I am not aware that anything I've taught is in error. But I tell you, if it is, I want to find out about it. I think that people who preach the word of God need to study, as Paul said to Timothy, study to show themselves approved. And I tell you that spending three years or four years, in seminary or Bible school is not enough. Being ordained is not enough. The only thing that is enough is to profit from examination and comparison of the whole Word of God, every part to another part. Christ goes on in verse 21, and he says, Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father that is in heaven. Well, I think we just said that. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, Have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. He didn't say, I knew you once. He said, I never knew you. I happen to be of the stripe uh, that would teach that if we are believers, we continue in that faith to the end. And that according to that faith, God brings us according to his promise to be conformed to righteousness and godliness. And that obviously does not have to do with simply prophesying in the name of Christ. There are many people out there who are profiting off of the name of Christ. What you will find in their messages is that you will find that A spoonful of lies will be diluted by a glass of truth. And they will often name the name of Jesus. They will talk about the love of Christ. But they will never get into the deep things of God. They will be like those who are admonished in the book of Hebrews that while they are teaching others, they themselves need to be instructed in the, in the deeper things of God, those things that Paul calls strong meat. Mm-hmm. And so many of them I have heard who will interject the name of Christ into a message that oftentimes is is not just a little bit of evil, it is absolutely a whole message filled with untruth. And they have the greatest followings. You know, sometimes I look back at the old ideas that I used to have that I might preach to thousands. Well, maybe that could have happened. Maybe not. Maybe if it had happened, I would have been destroyed. And so would they. But it is not a matter of how many. If it were Christ would have had thousands of disciples. Mm -hmm. But in the end, Mm -hmm. there were 12. One was a devil, Mm -hmm. and the others, save for John, deserted him in his hour of trial. Nevertheless, the Lord knew that what would come after him would bring them into the fullness of all that they needed to walk as he walked and to represent Christ himself in this earth. This is why we are called the body of Christ. And so Christ said, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell not for it was founded upon A rock. Mm -hmm. This afternoon, I walked around with that little song going through my head Mm -hmm. about uh, being on the rock. Jesus is the rock of my salvation. His banner over me is love. That's, that's what came, and that just kind of kept going through my mind. Jesus is the rock of my salvation. His banner over me is love. Well, what does Paul saying that once we... Now, remember this individual has built his house upon a rock and obviously that those who do not build his house upon the sand this reminds me of first corinthians Chapter 3, where Paul said this, For we, now when he says we, he is talking about those who are, teaching the doctrines of Christ and the doctrine of the deep things of almighty God. And he says that here in verse nine of chapter three, when he says, we he's talking about the, the teachers for we are labors together with God. And then he talks to the people, and he says, you are God's husbandry. You are God's building. And according to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. And it all starts with the good foundation. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes into the process of telling us that we must build on it a lasting building that will not fall away under adversity. And so, verse 25. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. I'm not sure, but I think it is probably... Notable that Christ in the Sermon on the Mount ended this sermon with this illustration because the illustration was absolutely indicative of the nation that he came to present himself to. The rock was in their midst. He offered to take them on into the kingdom, but they would not. And it was in the very next chapter of Matthew, in verse 11 of chapter 8, when Christ said this, And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom, who is the Jewish nation, and he's speaking to his hearers. The children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness, where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. <clears throat> It strikes me that God sent his son to Israel, knowing for eternity that they would not receive him. And it is not that God was ever surprised, for through, and, and I don't believe that God made them. God, God did not make Israel not to hear until after they had decided that Christ was not who he said he was. And... In God's plan, he knew, and therefore he cast it in stone for all election, my friend, is according to foreknowledge. You can read that in Romans 8. He knew ahead of time. He elected it to be so, and the people rejected their Messiah, but we know that God cannot deny himself. And therefore, after some 2,000 years, and I think we're almost there, God will draw his people back to their land. We've seen that. They will not come back as, a, as those believing in their Messiah. They will still, and they do at this time, still have that veil of unbelief. But the Lord will remember his promise. The promises to Abraham, the promises to David, the promise to all the prophets, and he will bring that people to trust in their Messiah who will come. And thereby God will get glory because he cannot lead astray. He can never lie. And his word abides forever. Soon and very soon his people will come back and by a miracle of grace they will receive Christ and they will enter into the kingdom that is first offered to them early in the book of Matthew. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, when I was young in the faith, I heard the words of the Sermon on the Mount. And I thought that they were words that would, were there to encourage me to do better. But Lord, I see now that they are words to describe the manner of life that is to come when the kingdom is formed in the earth and Christ will sit on the throne of David. I thank you, Lord, that we know this truth. I thank you that you have not forgotten the people that you called and separated to yourself. And I thank you for the profound wisdom that you have shown in their uh, going uh, into a period of, of uh, limbo, if you would, that through that, you would bring in the fullness of the church. And finally, through the tribulation, the fullness and the end of the time of the Gentiles. Blessed be your name. Make us to remember these things. Bless these people. Who hear the word and may it be valuable. Or right, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.